You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Good morning. I'm doing double duty today and I'm blowing myself out back there. Uh Uh-oh. Thanks, Joe. All right, do you ever have one of those mornings? I think we've had one today. Um, Hey, Jake. The second one on that side, can you lower it a little bit? Of the sliders for the microphones? You, Jake, yes, thank you. Sorry. There's no, no other sound. All the young men sound guys are over in Sunday school already, so I tried to set it up right, but it didn't, uh, didn't quite come out the, where it should be. I think that's good. Thank you. All right. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 5. So... Um, I just want to start out by saying, as always, I feel privileged to stand here before you. It's, um, it's a heavy, heavy burden to be able to stand before you because to give the word of God and to, to share what, what the Lord has laid on my heart, it's a, it's a challenge and it's, um, and it's a weighty thing. Because I want to be careful to convey exactly what the Lord has shown me and what he would have me bring. These past couple of weeks, since basically since the beginning of the year, you kind of evaluate where you are in your life and and look look things over. And it's there's been a lot of conviction in my life, a lot of prayerful consideration of where I'm at in light of God's word. <clears throat> it's easy kind of to start thinking you're doing okay, you know. Um, but when you when you really take a deep look, like I have. Um, look at my life and look at the life of those that I'm responsible for, I come to the conclusion I've still got a long way to go to, to be the man that God's called me to be. Fortunately for me and for all of us, there's, a, there's been this recurring theme in my devotions, um, and it's been this theme of God's love. So if you look at verse 8 in Romans chapter 5, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today. Lord, I come before you with humility. I just pray that you will give me what you would have me say, exactly what you would have me say. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and open the word and just to share what you're teaching me in my own life. And Lord, I just pray that today, especially as we have all of these bus families coming in, I pray that if there's anyone that would come through these doors today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would take the opportunity today to take that, freely, that gift that you've freely given. It's a free gift, Lord, and it's given out of your love. You commended your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. 
And Lord, I just pray that uh, you will be with all of us this morning uh, as teachers and just pray for hearts to be open to what you have for us today. Yes, this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I wanted to start out, I, I ran across this poem quite some time ago, um, and it kind of describes where I'm at in trying to speak about God's love. God's love is such an enormous subject that I can't even, can't even begin to really express any of it. So this is called The Blind Man and the Elephant by John Godfrey Sachs. It's based on an old proverb or something from India. It says, It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happened and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here so round and sharp and smooth? It, to me it is very clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, Thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis very clear to see the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said, Even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth, no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so each, so these men of Indostan disputed long and loud, each in his opinion exceeding stiff and strong. Though each was partly right and all were in the wrong. And the moral says, so often theological wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prayed about an elephant not one of them has seen. And that's kind of where I'm at today, that I have an idea, I have a little inkling of what God's love is like. And so I want to share what I have, and I hope that I'm not as arrogant as each of those blind men that think they know all about the elephant. I don't know much about God's love, but what I do know, I want to share with you. <clears throat> So as I mentioned in my personal devotions and study, there's been this strong recurring theme, and it has been and continues to be constantly before me, God's love. And so as I prayed and I pondered about what the Lord would have me bring, there's, nothing, there's been nothing but that subject in my heart. And I truly wrestled with the Lord over this because it's, a it's, it's tough to talk about. And like I said, I, just, I feel completely inadequate to scratch the surface of what it means. I've just experienced a small portion, observed such a minute vision, and heard tell such a tiny soundbite of what can be told of what the love of God means. There's been many men much more spiritual than me and much more intelligent than me, many more well-studied than me, and they've talked in great detail about this subject. But again, even they have not begun to explore the shallow waters of the infinite depths of the ocean of God's love. 
One of the biggest obstacles in trying to speak on God's love is that in today's culture, we've completely watered down and cheapened, if not destroyed, the meaning of the word love. We say we love pizza. We speak of how we love a particular band. We love a book we've read. We love the way a piece of art moves us. We love our pets. We love our children. We love our spouses. Each of those, as you know, is just kind of more and more, a little more close to what the Lord has, but still none of these comes close to approaching the love, the pure and untainted love of God. The first topic that the Lord led me to explore is God's love for himself. It seems like a reasonable place to, at which to begin. One of the first things that probably comes to mind when you think of God's love for himself is a question. In our humanness, we have a difficult time understanding what it means when we say God loves himself. But we have to look at God, look at who he is, his perfections, his holiness, his uniqueness in all of the universe. We have to distance ourselves from that frustration we feel when we think of someone who loves themselves. When a mere man loves himself, it's something that goes against the fiber of what's right. We all know those people who are very full of self-love, and we have a whole variety of different words to describe them. We call them conceited or proud, vain, smug, superior, stuck-up, snobbish, arrogant. All of those have a very negative connotation. But when we speak of God's love for himself, we have to consider who he is so that that thought of self-love becomes something that's natural because of who he is. So the first thing that the Lord led me to go to, to talk about is who is God? So we can, again, I can't scratch the surface of that. But Pastor's done a study on the attributes of God. It's been a, it's been a life-changing study that keeps coming back to me. And so I hope by going over some of the attributes of God, we can get a feeling for who God is and hopefully see why he, why does God love himself? Out of all those doctrines that pastor taught on, that's one, one of the ones that's been the most enlightening to me. When I find myself in a spiritual slump or just having trouble, um, focusing on my meditation, my prayer. If I remember to meditate on those attributes of God, my spirit is quickly revived. So much of our faith relies on what we believe about God. So that's why I, again, feel led by the Spirit to go over his attributes, his perfections. That's another word for attributes, those perfections. God is perfect, and those perfections describe who he is. In Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, it says, I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So let's review these attributes of God, the perfections of our great and glorious God. The first one that we have is God is incomprehensible. Job, one of the heroes of the Bible, had this to say in Job 5, 7 through 9. 
I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. And again, Job says in 11, um, chapter 11, verse 7 through 9, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as a heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. What Job's saying is there's nobody that can comprehend who God is, all of what God, all of what God encompasses. The second attribute of God is that he's self-existent. This means that he doesn't exist because of any other outside force. He just is because he is. In Exodus three thirteen to 14, we read, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt, Thus shalt you say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. He's the only one who can say, I am, as a sentence. He just, I am because I am. There's no other, there's no other reason. He just is because he is. He is self-existent. <clears throat> his, his next attribute is that he's self-sufficient. This is closely related to self-existence. Self-existence talks about his origin and how he exists because of himself. He exists because he exists. Self-sufficiency takes it another step further. He continues to exist because of himself. He doesn't need anything external to himself to continue to exist. Everything we know could go away, God would still continue to exist, and he would be perfectly fine. Acts 17.24 tells us, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God is eternal. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. He has always existed, and he always will. He has no beginning. So you can see how these attributes are interrelated. He's self-existence because of himself, and he has always existed because of himself. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is infinite. God's infiniteness applies to all of his attributes. So when we talk about, we'll get into some of his other attributes further on, all of these attributes that he has are infinite. There's no end to them. King Solomon, in his prayer of dedication of the temple, says in 1 Kings eight twenty-seven and 28, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet thou have respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. We can see that Solomon, he was understanding that although he had built this house for God, 
God can't be contained by this house. He understands that God is just is lowering himself in a, in a way just to come and dwell in this house, to allow his presence to be in this house that Solomon made. So as we think about God's infinite, think about all of these, as we go through these next attributes, think about each one of them as, as they are infinite. God is omnipotent. Genesis 18.14 asks a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the obvious and expected answer is no. There's nothing too hard for him. And in Revelation 19.6 we read, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the, God, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's an amazing statement. God is all-powerful, and he reigns. He's in charge. God is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. The psalmist, in Psalm 139, 7-12, asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into the heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. This is one of those attributes of God that should both comfort us and fill us with fear. The fear should be of sin because he's omnipresent. He's there and fully aware of our sin as we commit it. This should be a sobering thought for us, but the comfort comes in knowing that no matter how alone we may feel, he's always there also, wherever we are, and he meets us there. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and great of power. His understanding is infinite. This definition from when Pastor did the doctrinal study of the attributes of God is one of the most concise I've seen. It says, God possesses, without prior discovery of facts, complete and universal knowledge of all things past, present, and future. Try and wrap your mind around that. It means he sees all things. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He knows all things, big and small, of the universe. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows our thoughts. Psalm 44, 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He knows our words. Psalm 134, 139, verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knows our deeds and our actions. Psalm 139.2 Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. He knows our sorrows. Exodus 3.7 And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. He knows our devotion. Second Chronicles 16.9 for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them 
whose heart is perfect toward him. He knows our frailties. Psalm 103:14. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows our foolishness. Psalm 69:5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. And he knows his own. 2 Timothy 2:19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. So he's omniscient. He knows all things. That's just, again, just scratching the surface of it. God is all wise. Jude one twenty five. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And knowing him as the source of all wisdom, how comforting is his promise from James one twenty five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So God says, I know all. I have all the wisdom. If you want wisdom, just ask me. God is immutable. That means he doesn't change. This is an awesome thing in this world today where everything change, everything's changed and turned on its head and everything, what's good is right and what's right is wrong and or what's, what's good is bad and what's right is wrong and they've just turned everything upside down. But God never changes. Malachi 3, 6, speak, Malachi the prophet says, he speaks through Malachi the prophet, he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. In Hebrews six seventeen to 19 speaking of the covenant promise of God to Abraham, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So God made this covenant with Abraham. A covenant is an immutable thing. So an immutable God made an immutable covenant. And that's the anchor for our soul, that our God is sure and steadfast. His next attribute is that he's sovereign. He's in control, and that means that nothing happens to us which he has not either ordained to happen or allowed to happen. When we apply this to our lives, it can bring great peace because we, when we rely on his sovereignty, coupled with his other attributes, we think about his goodness, his mercy, his love, we can rest assured that Romans 8.28 is true, that all things work together together for those who love him. Speaking of God's sovereignty, speaking of his own sovereignty in Isaiah, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. It's pretty amazing. He says, I declared the end from the beginning. From the beginning of time, I've declared to the end. I, talked to, I said what was going to happen a long time ago in the ancient times, 
things that haven't even yet happened. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Yes, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Look throughout history. What I've said, I have done. I have caused things to happen and will continue to cause things to happen. I have declared what will happen from the beginning, and it will happen. God is light. 1 John 1, 4 through 7 speaks of this. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And in Peter and Peter in first Peter two nine says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God brings light into darkness. Wherever his, wherever his word is preached, the light of God is shown. God is inscrutable. It just means that we can't figure him out. God speaks of this through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse eight, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The important thing to remember here is that God's will might not make sense to us, but it's perfectly clear to him. And when we don't have all the answers, he really does. His next attribute is faithfulness. God is faithful. In the book of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the prophet Jeremiah says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because, of his, compa- because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. This is one of my favorite attributes that our unchangeable, our immutable God is faithful. He's always faithful, no matter what. God is holy. This is the attribute of God that encompasses all of his other attributes. The attribute of holiness speaks to the uniqueness, the set-apartness of God. There is none like him. All of his other attributes come together to describe who he is. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God is true. In John 17, verse verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And again, further down in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Everything that God says is true. God is good. 
In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, and verse 7, we read, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The Psalms are full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Psalm 34, 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. There's just, you could, I could just go through the Psalms all day. On just every, at every step, David was fully aware of the goodness of the Lord, and he praised that goodness. God is just and righteous. God, speaking again through the prophet Isaiah, declares in Isaiah 45, 21, There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. And the psalmist says in Psalm 7, 9, For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. This one would be really scary if it wasn't for the next attribute, because justice calls for punishment for sin. But the next attribute is that God is merciful. Psalm 136 tells us that his mercy endureth forever. That's that psalm that goes through and it just repeats, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And then it says, For his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of God, for his mercy endureth forever. And it goes through that entire psalm and just repeats over and over, His mercy endureth forever. Because of who God is, is his eternal existence, his immutability, we can trust that that mercy does really endure forever. So when we couple that with the fear that should come because of his justice, because he's just and righteous, but then we couple that with the mercy that he shows to us as sinners. His mercy is withholding the punishments that we rightly deserve for our sins, those sins that the justice and righteousness demand payment for. God is gracious. Psalm 116 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. God's mercy allows him to withhold merited punishment, but God's grace allows him to freely bestow unmerited favor. Mercy is, is not getting what we deserve, namely hell. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, namely heaven. Those two those two attributes go hand in hand. And they should just make us fall on our face before God. I saved God as love was the last attribute that I was going to touch on because that's really the focus that I wanted to bring. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says, Behold, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
So when we speak of all these attributes, we review all of these attributes of God. It comes down to that he is the very definition of love. He is the essence of love. True biblical holy love cannot be defined apart from him. And I thought it was interesting as I was looking at all of his attributes. We say God is merciful. God is faithful. God is holy. All of these attributes are adjectives that describe him. But then when we come to love, we love is a noun or a verb, but we say God is love. Not God is loving, which he is because he is love, but we, we don't say it that way. We say God is love. The definition of love is God. And I'm pretty much out of time. So I'm going to stop here. And I'm just going to say this, because of who he is, he must love himself. And because of who he is and because we serve him, we should be loving one another. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.